Blog Talk Radio. Back in 
skies broadcasting live to billions of people. Cameras on the streets tracking who we meet and call this liberty. show is that uh, 
it is the responsibility of uh, every single individual living in this nation to do their guarding the freedoms and liberties that that we have by virtue of of living in this nation. Uh, there is no w- way to delegate the responsibility for safeguarding these freedoms and liberties. Uh, you can't give it give the duty to anyone else. You can't shirk your responsibility. Each and every one of us have to shoulder the responsibility for safeguarding these freedoms and these liberties that we enjoy. Uh, how you do it is going to be up to you. I can't tell you what what you need to do, what you have the time to do, what you have the abilities to do. Certainly, if you have the time, the money, the ability, you should become uh, a part of the government, a representative, so that you can exert your influence on it. Not everyone can. However, everyone can go to the polls and vote. Uh, that's the very least you can do. That's what you can certainly get started is going and making sure that uh, you're going to the polls and voting. Before you do that, you're going to talk to your representatives and make sure that they understand your needs, your desires, and that uh, if, they are, if your needs and your desires are not met, then you as an individual are going to exert the control that you have by voting against it. And, uh, and certainly you as one individual voter are not going to be any type of a scare to your representatives, but you as an individual voter that calls and lets them know what you're going to do, uh, along with uh, thousands of your fellow individual voters who call or are right and let them know what you're not going to stand for, are able together... Uh, in a communal way, to exert that pressure. And believe me, the the government is not scared of any one or ten or twenty or a hundred or even a thousand uh, of you guys uh, uh, standing out in the street or marching out in the street with uh, firearms and saying, look, uh, you better do something or we're going to get angry. They're not worried about that. They have... Uh, They've got plenty of folks to take care of you with. Uh, so, so armed deterrence is not the threat that people think it is. Now, let me say this, too. Let me immediately come back and say that uh, I see people all the time in forums and comments and stuff like that. Somebody will make a, a post uh, that says, yeah, you know, we'll, uh, uh, we'll arm up and we'll – will change the government if we have to, because that is actually a duty that is given to the American citizen, that is to change the government by any means necessary if the government is no longer a constitutional government, it's no longer functioning in the way that it was meant to be, no longer representing you, then you don't, it's not just uh, uh, something you might want to think about doing, it is actually an obligation of you to do it. And people will post that they will change it in some armed fashion, and then somebody else will come on and say, look, you guys, you know, there's nothing you can do. None, none of you guys with uh, guns can do anything because 
you know, our government has uh, they've got smart bombs and mortars and machine guns and troops and everything else. And my comment to those people is usually, yeah, that's right, that's that's right, they do have it. But if you think that those planes and guns and troops and everything else uh, are going to immediately stop any problems that arise, and you might want to go and uh, and read the newspapers and talk to, uh, to the folks and the troops in Afghanistan, because apparently uh, there are a couple of thousand guys over in Afghanistan uh, with 50, 60, 70, 80, 90-year-old rifles that uh, are giving us a run for our money for the last 10 years. Okay, so don't immediately try and write off the fact that uh, that nobody can do anything in some type of armed insurrection. And let me also say right now, giving you my disclaimer, that I'm not advocating an armed insurrection. Absolutely not. We had a group of of folks 237 years ago that fought eight long, hard years in order to create a nation that uh, ran under some of the most brilliant documents ever ever created in order that we would not ever have to have another armed insurrection, that we could run our government in a different way than most of the other nations uh, around us at that time, and even now, are running theirs. That we can change out, that we can correct government, that we have checks and balances to put limits on the uh, on the government. <clears throat> and the reason they're failing now, because citizens are not paying attention. Citizens are not paying attention. And the ones that are paying attention uh, are doing so because they want to make sure that they continue to freebies. <clears throat> okay, tonight we're going to uh, we're going to talk about the the firearms and security needs that you'll have for. Uh, everything up to and including a grid-down situation. Now, I very rarely ever talk about this because uh, because it, it, it usually gets talked about uh, by everyone everywhere else, uh, and uh, and it is even though it's the most uh, sexy uh, topic for uh, self-reliance and preppers, uh, and that's firearms. Uh, I just usually don't uh, discuss it because, like I said, it gets it gets talked about everywhere else. It's kind of an over-talked-about situation. And firearms, <clears throat> which is one of the, uh, the methods of security, which is one of the five tenets of, of self-reliance and prepping, and that is... Uh, uh, Water, food, shelter, security, and energy. And this uh, certainly the, the firearms fall in, uh, under the heading of security. <clears throat> but one of the main reasons that I talk about other things more often than firearms is because you're 
more than probably going to need uh, the other things more than firearms uh, for the majority of the time. I've been uh, alive for 50-plus years, and uh, I imagine over those 50 years I've been in, uh, I would say maybe uh, 50, maybe 70, 80 uh, physical altercations. And those were all in my younger years. Uh, and, uh, and I would say probably a dozen uh, with assorted uh, uh, other weapons, clubs, knives, things like that. And then uh, around uh, eight or nine firearms uh, interactions. And, uh, and more than that, when they weren't fired. Uh, so if you average that out, <clears throat> the firearms one, then you would probably come to uh, uh, something. There, there might be some kind of firearms thing every uh, every five, six years, right? Uh, once every five or six years, there's going to be uh, uh, there's going to be some type of an event where you'll need a firearm. But guess guess how many times during those uh, that same half a century, I needed to take a drink of water, or I needed to eat something, or I needed to flip a light switch on, or walk inside a building in the rain, in the cold and rain, and get out of the weather. A lot more, pretty much almost every day, right? That's why I try and talk about uh, the other aspects of self-reliance prepping more than firearms because firearms are something. When you need a firearm, you need it. There's no really nothing else that's going to really replace it in some situations. But uh, the times, the number of times you're going to need it are going to be uh, very few compared with the number of times you're going to need uh, clean, drinkable water that you'll be able that you'll need food that is safe to eat and nourishing that you will need uh, uh, warmth of a fire, that you'll need the shelter uh, from the cold and rain of a uh, some type of overhead cover or a home. That's going to be a lot more time. So that's why I emphasize that, all right? Nonetheless, there are times that, uh, that you are going to need a firearm. And what kind of firearm is it that you're going to need? Now, I get asked this question quite a bit. Uh, over the last, uh, let's say the last uh, 35 years or so, in, uh, in living outdoors and uh, during military service and shooting and uh, teaching shooting, uh, the last uh, 25 years of self-reliance and prepping, I get asked it quite a bit. And, we, and there's, there are, are many, many discussions of it. And uh, among the survival groups, you'll see this is just a uh, just as hot and, uh, uh, I think they call it like a flame topic, as much as uh, among the gun culture people, if you start asking which is the, what is the best 
firearm? What's the best caliber to have? Because the answer is going to vary. Uh, the best firearm for you for self-defense, home defense, or in a grid-down situation is going to vary and depend a lot on your circumstances, uh, on your level of experience, familiarity with the firearm, uh, and uh, the firearm's use, uh, where you live, what, your, what the threats that you will possibly face are. There are a whole lot of things that go into uh, the discussion of what type of firearm is best for you. On top of that, I know I put in the uh, uh, in the program's title, uh, Firearms and Security for, uh, for Grid Dance Situation. And I did that because that's, uh, that's the, the thing that most always comes to mind uh, when folks want to want to discuss this subject. However, you guys have heard me talk about this many times before, that uh, the end of the world, no matter how it comes, by aliens or comets or uh, solar flares or, or, or however, is the most uh, or is the least likely event they're going to have to face. There's, there are going to be uh, many more much more likely uh, chances that we would have to use a firearm uh, in some situation uh, that is an everyday situation long before we ever get to the uh, the hordes of zombies uh, attacking us, all right? Now, so you want to, you want to think about, uh, when you think about getting a firearm for self-defense, that you want to think about what you will most likely need it for. Now, and that's, like I said, that's not usually going to be an end-of-the-world situation. Uh, you'll need to think about what you most likely need the firearm for. Uh, listen, before we get into... Uh, before we get into our discussion, uh, I would like to uh, to bring a, a guest on real quick, uh, bring a guest caller on and talk to him for just a bit. Uh, we've got uh, uh, Jason Slayton from Slayton Fabrication on. And uh, Jason is a, a friend of ours at Battle Road, and uh, we've been working with him for a while and have bought products from him. And, uh, and he has uh, created some targets for us for the upcoming uh, zombie bi- uh, end of the world, as we know it, zombie destruction biathlon. And uh, and I asked him. I called him earlier today and asked him if he wouldn't mind coming on the show because Jason is uh, he's uh, he's got a great company and uh, and does really great work. So I thought we'd we'd have him come on. We'll talk to him just a bit uh, and find out a little bit about him. And then you guys can go ahead and check out his uh, his website and the work that he does. Hey Jason, how are you doing this evening? Oh, I'm doing all right. Yourself? Well, listen, thanks for calling and taking the time and, and calling in. Oh, yeah. No worries. Well, uh, first off, uh, because Mark knows you a lot better than I do, he's talked to you quite a bit, and uh, and 
and seen a lot of your work. I haven't, but uh, uh, first off, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, who you are, uh, how you got started in uh, uh, the uh, metal fabrication. All right. Well, as you said, I'm Jason Slayton. I own the company Slayton Fabrication. Uh, how I got started in all this was probably, I'd say, about 10 years ago. I actually started out racing dirt bikes, and I uh, kept on blowing my motors out and everything like that. So one thing led to another where my dad was like, hey, you know, you got to fix your own stuff uh, and learn the hard way rather than me just paying for everything. So once that went down, you know, something else had broken. So I had to, you know, start learning how to weld up some some new handlebars, you know, bend tubing and uh, and all that. And then all of a sudden, you know, I just kind of clicked with what I want to do, you know, for the rest of my life. And, you know, it's something I love to do and love to show people my abilities and, uh, you know, try to try to wow them with uh, the, the products I build. <laughs> well, listen, man, uh, when I was uh, a youngster, uh, I spent a good amount of time riding and then uh, uh, racing uh, dirt bikes. And, man, even back then, even back down and back in the caveman days when I was doing it, uh, they had the, the courses and stuff that they had. What's the one, uh, I'm just not trying to think of the name of it, and I can't think of it all of a sudden. It was the one that was, uh, let's see, it was out, uh, I believe it was out south of Houston, the big racing uh, track out there. For dirt bikes. Uh, do, you, do you know? Are you familiar well, with? Them? Uh, well, no, I'm not not too sure about that. Whenever I raced, I raced all uh, North Texas and South, you know, the South of the surrounding states. Um, right. Well, never, never went down there. there. Well, even back in the old days, you know, they still had the the dirt bike tracks were uh, were really rough. And they were really uh, probably a lot rougher then, uh, in some ways, than they are now. Because uh, back then, I don't know that they that they had it figured out as well as they do now. You know, you would uh, you would make some some of the jumps and stuff, and you, a lot of times you would hit really hard, and uh, and it was uh, it was not uncommon uh, to snap or twist the frame up, uh, you know, in a race. Oh yeah, happened all the time. But for me, I was a heavier built rider than uh, than the usual. But you know, I'm just gotta gotta keep going. And back then, we had uh, they certainly didn't have as uh, they didn't have the, the the type of metal, the type of uh, bikes uh, and frames that they're using now. In fact, one of the first uh, one of the first bikes that I was racing was actually uh, a street model that had been converted for use on a dirt track and it was uh it was actually an old cb frame uh and uh and it was very very heavy and blocky uh and uh it didn't uh it didn't work out that well i've seen a lot of the bikes and stuff a lot of suspension systems and the frames and stuff now and uh, uh they're like uh you know rocket science compared to to what we're using back in the early 70s. So do you... Yeah, uh, I can definitely see that. Do you, do you still work on a lot of bikes? Uh, I really just kind of work on my own and my friends. Yeah, I've been doing it for so long. I don't, you know, I don't uh, 
go out and say, hey, you know, have a sign, advertise it for our business or anything like that. I just kind of like to like to keep things low on the maintenance side of stuff because I, like I said, I'm a more of a fabricator and I like building building stuff from the ground up, not not working on something that's already someone else's work. So right. Well, what all do you do? Give us a uh, uh, give us kind of a, a a list of the different uh kind of uh products that you manufacture there at Slayton. All right. Well uh first off, you know, we do the, the steel targets for, for shooting. Uh we do a lot of those, many different kinds. Uh then we also specialize in full tube chassis, roll cages, uh walkover bridges, swings, metal art. I mean anything to do with metal, you know, we uh we we love to do. Um say about some of my my fun and crazier builds. Uh, I don't know if you know what a Polaris Razor is, uh, but we were actually in the company that I was with before. I started my own. We were actually the first people to ever do the vehicle backflips in the world. So we went out and we made up our own ramp, made up our own uh, our own Razor car, and took it to the foam pit. Got it first try, and we actually traveled to uh, to Vegas and Costa Rica doing a couple of those shows. And Go out there and do a vehicle backflip in front of in front of people, and that was that was a nice well, fun time. Well, I saw the uh, the picture of one of the, uh, uh, I believe it was a bike ramp that you have on your website, a dirt bike uh, oh, launch yeah. ramp. I now, have that, that set like up behind it, my house right now. <laughs> yeah, and that looks like it's uh, that, that looks like a, a pretty uh, savage angle on that uh, on that ramp. It's, it looks like you're going almost straight up. Oh, yeah. It's definitely a booter, all right. I mean, I don't have the the biggest yard. I live out on about four acres, uh, but the way how it's set up, I have the shooting range, I have my shop, I have all this other stuff, and so where my, I have my dirt bike section at. You know, it's not the biggest, uh, biggest area to get a whole lot of speed, so what we do is instead of doing a, you know, 85-foot gap, we just put it up to about 45 to 50 feet, but then we'll go, you know, 30 feet in the air. So it, uh, it'll just throw you straight up in the air, but whenever you come down, our landing is just set up so perfect. It feels like you're not even in the air. It feels like you're just going over a hill. I mean, once you land, it's just butter. I mean, you don't, you don't wow. feel any, any compression at all. So, you know, with uh, a lot of my customers, you know, I build stuff for the oil field, uh, and so they're they're pretty, pretty tight to... Uh, customers, they always have to come out, check out everything, you know, make sure uh, that their product's getting done because, you know, the oil field, they want it done three days ago, you know. Uh, right, so they, right. they kind of ground they kind of ground me from, from my toys every now and then. <laughs> so I don't, I don't have too much of a chance to go out and go out and play, but when I do, I mean, I, it, it's fun. So. Well, I see that you make, you also make uh, all different types of custom uh, like signs and stuff, like entry signs for people's gates and for their homes and stuff like that. Right. I have a 5 by 10 water plastic table. Um, so what that is is I just draw something up on the computer and press cut, and then the machine will actually go along the lines that the computer is giving it to it through a certain code, and it will just cut out, you know, whatever shape and design that you, you have entered in there. Um, you know, we have all kinds of specialty tools. we got yeah, the the plasma table, the, uh, the rollers, the bent, tubing benders, uh, mills, lathes, 
I mean, we got a, we got a full shop out here and lots of lots of stuff to to play with, and you know we have just about everything that we need to make anything there is out there. Wow. Well, let's talk about the targets because uh, that's one of the things that uh, that we have uh, gotten from you. I, I believe we got some uh, some circles. Uh, I think last year, right? And then you made up a uh, a custom design for us, which is like a uh, like an individual torso from the waist up with the arms and the head and everything. And we used that in our uh, uh, in the zombie biathlon. That target we put inside of a uh, camper window, and uh, people had to to shoot it at, at one of the stations. Uh, and uh, and I believe that Mark just picked up some silhouettes from you. Yeah, he uh, he came by uh, yesterday, and I made up five five big silhouettes. They're eleven by twenty three inches, uh, and they're actually what's called a reactive target. So whenever you hit the target face, it's able to absorb the energy of that bullet because on the mount it has like a little hinge type deal uh, uh-huh. on the bottom. So whenever the you actually hit it with the bullet, the target is able to react and it, it moves backwards, absorbs the energy of that bullet and deflects the bullet straight down. And not only does that help out on shooter safety, it also helps out on the longevity of the target. So, you know, you have some targets where if they're just a straight static target, you shoot 3,000 rounds at it, and, you know, it's, it's not good anymore. It's starting to get dented in and, and all that, or bent. And so when you shoot it, sometimes the the bullet doesn't go straight down. It might ricochet, come back at you, or go off another direction. But uh, all my targets, they're all they're all faced to where as soon as you shoot it, it goes straight down to the ground, and you can just see the lead piling up on the ground underneath it. So. Yeah, I'm really excited about these because we've got uh, one station, uh, which is a pistol station. We're asking people to shoot pretty close up, and we are we're, we've always been a little bit uh, a little bit worried about making sure that uh, none of the lead comes back on people because you can get you can get lead coming back off a steel target. Uh, with a, quite a bit of force, or you can have it, uh, you can have it redirect itself, uh, you know, without too much trouble on some of these targets. And you know, we're, we just wanted to make sure that, uh, that that's not happening. So I'm really excited about this. We had, uh, oh, I made up, I think, like a dozen that were like, uh, I don't know, they were probably 18 or, or 20 inches by. Uh, 30 inches or so, uh, but it was out of a 3 uh soft steel, and uh, they were pretty good until we started using them for our shotgun classes, and uh, people would put 300 rounds of 12-gauge uh, birdshot on them, so they all have like a, a pretty severe curve now, and they're all pretty severely uh curve because of the uh, the the constant uh, shotgun uh, force hitting them, and uh, they certainly are not going to, they won't take any kind of uh, rifle shots, it's a soft metal, but you're using the AR-500 uh, plate, uh, which will take uh, uh, pretty much anything other than armor piercing, right? You have, you know, the, the bullets that have the green tips on them or, you know, stuff like that, and they might just put a little tiny nick in it. But other than that, I mean, you put a 
put a fresh coat of paint on the target and you don't even know that it's been used. Uh, you know, as you were saying about the ricocheting and everything like that off the of soft steel, this AR-500, it, it doesn't mess around. I mean, this stuff is, is super strong. Uh, with all my targets, I actually do a pretty good thorough test with them. You know, I shoot, I shoot them from anywhere from 20 yards close to point blank range where the barrel is only four inches away from the actual target itself. Because, you know, wow. for, for me, I have to make something that I know for a fact it's not going to go and somehow hurt somebody else. So I have to I thoroughly test my products before I even give them out because the last thing I want is getting someone hurt off my off my products. So right. I always just test as much as possible in any situation and and uh, make sure that they're safe, safe uh, for anybody to shoot at. Right. And uh, you have done a lot of research and a lot of, uh, studying on the current, uh, the most current trends and stuff and uh, science on this before you built these, right? And uh, and you're certainly right about uh, even the AR500, like you said, yeah, the green tips and uh, and some of the larger calibers. Uh, actually, larger calibers, uh, contrary to what most folks think, are not the ones that that produce the most damage. Right. It's the, actually, the faster, the, the smaller calibers. Yeah, yeah, the, the 5.56 five, uh, almost is, is the worst on a target because it's going so fast, but it's also, it's like a needle hitting it. You know, you have a, a 308, which, yeah, it's going fast too, but it's a lot bigger round. So it has a lot right. more, you know, square and area. And it spreads there. out. Yeah, the, it exactly. spreads out, and there's more surface for it to uh, to to even out the the uh, uh, per square inch uh energy as opposed to that 5.56 is traveling really fast. Some of the AR-500 right. targets that we have that that have received uh, several thousand rounds of 5.56 are starting to look like they've, like they've been shot with several thousand rounds of 5.56. They get to, they're starting to <laughs> a little tiny. Well, see, that's that's another good point, you know, about my, uh, about my targets is every target face is reversible. You have a lot of other guys out there will they'll weld on the target or, or do something right. where you only have one side to shoot at. Well, with all of my targets, every single one that I make, they're all reversible. So you, as soon as you get done throwing 10,000, 15,000 rounds at one side, you can just pop it off, flip it over, and you have a brand-new target face. Uh, and then another thing is how I said about those silhouettes that y'all actually got from me. I have a guy that shoots a 338 Lapua uh, from only 200 yards away. And... A lot of guys that probably hear that are like, no, there's no way that that target hands up to it. It doesn't matter that it's AR-500. Well, you got to remember, my targets are actually able to absorb the energy of the uh, the impact. So they can take a lot, lot higher caliber from shorter distance than a regular static target does. Right, and uh, and we've tried to make sure that when we put them up that we keep that in mind now because we at the beginning we were trying to make sure that the targets were uh, were put up, you know, very uh, sturdily, and uh, they were made where they couldn't move around a lot, so that uh, they wouldn't move, and and uh, uh, and we could, uh, you know, we'd make sure that we could see the impact and stuff uh, in order to to score it. But we soon learned that the the more the more you stop the target from moving, as far as as whenever you whenever you're you're stopping the movement of it uh, or the ability of the target to move away from the impact around, 
the more that you do that, the more damage you're going to do to the target. Right. If the target can exactly. have some ability to move away uh, from the impact, to absorb the impact, the inertial impact, by, by having an equal and opposite movement away from it, then the less damage uh, that you'll end up doing. So we've tried to make sure that uh, all the targets are, are capable of moving away from the impact of the round now. Yeah, yeah, that's what now, you guys do. Uh, now, you also make a lot of uh, of custom stuff for, uh, like, free gun, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, I mean, any shape, design, for anybody would want, I can cut out. Everything, like I said, everything is made in-house. So whatever, whatever you need, the craziest idea you might have going around in your head or anything like that, you know, I can definitely, definitely get it done for you. Want to be really yeah, good quality, you know. It, it's going to be safe to shoot, and all of my stuff actually comes with a lifetime warranty for the weld. So if a weld ever breaks, bends, or snaps, anything like that, you can ship the target back to me. And I'll either fix it or just send you out a brand new one for free. Nothing, nothing to worry about. That's just where we stand behind all of our products, and you know, believe in believe in them that much. Right, and uh, if for any of the folks that are listening that uh, are shooting uh, three gun. Uh, this is a great place to get uh, some of your targets locally, especially if you're if you guys are in uh, in the uh, in Texas, or uh, especially if you're around the Houston area, uh, because uh, Jason makes uh, a lot of three gun targets. Uh, I'm looking at one now, a rack of knockdown targets that are card deck symbols, symbols, and. Uh, and those, uh, it's on a nice big rack, got all the card symbols in red and black, and has the ability to remotely reset. Yeah, it comes with, the, comes with a 100-foot rope. So as long as you're within 100 feet of it, all you got to do is pull that rope. Once you're done shooting all the paddles down, that'll reset it all. Drop back down, you're ready to shoot again. You don't have to walk up there and, you know, reset it or anything like that. Uh, and like you said, you know, I do custom work. So what I actually had, I had a guy that, bought that same rack and he uh would use that for his pistols but then he would he had a big enough farm where he could shoot 600 700 yards out and he wanted me to weld on some chains on the actual plate rack itself so he had the eight plate rack targets on top and then he also had four gongs hanging underneath it so it you know any uh any custom work that you'd ever need done we can we can get that done for you as well well, that sounds great. Like I said, I'm really looking forward to uh, really looking forward to just to shooting some of these uh, targets that uh, that you gave Mark. I, I asked him when he's going to come up because uh, I'm, I'm itching to shoot him right now. Uh, <laughs> but uh, what uh, projects are you currently working on? Oh, well, like I said, you know, we do a lot of stuff in the oil field. We build skids, high pressure flares, and uh, do piping and all that as well. But uh, whenever we we get the time. Uh, we also are working on drawing up and engineering a new vehicle uh, to do shows with. We're looking to do a backflip vehicle, a barrel, a vehicle that does a barrel roll from ramp to ramp. And I'm itching and hoping, you know, by by the time we we get to build, and I can figure out a way to where we have one vehicle that does a double backflip in the air, you know, from ramp to ramp about probably about a 40 to 50 foot gap, something something to please wow. everybody with. <laughs> but, 
But yeah, so speaking of a three gun earlier, something that I, I am itching to start start building for y'all guys is the uh the gun ammo buggies. You know, we go to all these matches and you see these guys putting all their guns and, and ammo boxes in a baby stroller and <laughs> I mean you, you can't help but, but to laugh. I mean it's it's funny, uh but at the same time it's like, come on man, there's gotta be something out there so I actually haven't seen anything that anyone else is building for that yet, so I'm about to get to get to working on a uh, a prototype of one of those to where you know it's actually something that you can push around with all your guns and ammo in there and look cool and be proud of it, you know, instead of just pushing around a a uh, customized baby stroller. So uh, hoping that, that, would, that, that would be great. That'd be yeah. great. But you uh, you you couldn't use it to, on. Uh, you couldn't use it with what we do because uh, our our course is, is four and a half miles long. There's mm-hmm. uh, eight shooting stations for rifle and pistol, but there's also obstacles in between each of the stations. Right. So I'm not sure you could uh, you could drag a, a buggy or anything through uh, through the center <laughs> of uh, of twenty tractor tires, or right. if you would be strong enough strong enough to clip it to your belt. And do the uh, the monkey bars with it or something like that, but I know what you're talking about because uh, because I've seen those folks at some of the three guns and they've got like the shopping carts and they and the you know the kids strollers with all their stuff in it you know pushing it from uh, from shoot to shoot. <laughs> yep. Listen, why? Well, I, I, I just trying to figure out something had to be us. done. Are you gonna Are you gonna try and come out and uh, do the zombie run with us sometime? Yeah, I'd really love to. Uh, I don't know if I'll be able to attend this match, but I do have two of my sponsored shooters that will be up there shooting. Uh, so hopefully we'll be able to, to kind of rep rep the company. And one of them is actually my brother, uh, who kind of got me into the target business. You know, he uh, he knew that I was a, a fabricator, knows my skills, and what I was able to do. And he called me up one day. He's like, "Hey." Uh, I don't see like spending the money on a target. Can you make me one? And I was like, well, I've never even seen one of these before in person. So sure, let me give it a shot. And actually, the first target I ever built is my main seller right now, and it's my own unique design. I never saw a target or anything like that before I started building mine. You know, I just made it from what I thought made in my head, and sure enough, I mean, it's it's a pretty awesome design, and you know, no one, uh, no one, I won't see anybody having any problems with it, and. I mean, everyone's just been super excited, and they're always asking me for for different sizes of targets that you can put on that same exact mount and, and all this other stuff. So it, uh, it was pretty well, funny how how it turned out started, but you know now now it's like oh okay this actually this actually works and makes business and has uh, I know people are out there with my targets they're able to to shoot and not have to worry about anything. Well, you're doing a great job, and uh, if people want to uh, to take a look at these targets, uh, where do they go to? Uh, com. Okay, and uh, all the information on there, all the contact information, everything is on the website there because I'm looking at it right now. And uh, okay. listen, I want to thank you, uh, Jason, for, for calling and letting us know about it, and I want to thank you, too, for helping to sponsor the, uh, the Zombie Biathlon. And uh, if any of you guys are thinking about uh, getting a target, uh, when you do talk to Jason, you let him know that you heard about it here or on the website or the blog. Uh, anything else you want to add, Jason? 
Uh, yeah, you know, like you said, if, if they mention your name, I'll give them a 10% off their purchase. Whoa, there we go. <laughs> yeah, that'll work. That's perfect. Yeah, you got to give them something, you know. Uh, and with all the people that are out of state, like you said earlier, um, don't let the shipping or anything like that, you know, make you not order from me. I'm always willing to negotiate on my price uh, for shipping costs because I know how much it can can be with this stuff because it, it does weigh a lot. Um, so I'm always able to, to bring down my price just a little bit to where it doesn't seem like you're spending that much for shipping. So I'm always trying to, you know, make sure everyone has something good to shoot at and any custom work, anything that I do, uh, you know, I always try to make sure everybody gets a fair deal because I like to treat people the same way that I would want to be treated. Right, right, exactly. I don't know if you've ever checked the prices. I haven't checked them lately. But uh, back whenever we were uh, uh, manufacturing stuff for uh, theater companies and stuff like that, we had to we had to ship bulky items and heavy items, stuff like that. Uh, and especially if there was any kind of a, uh, like a rush on the order, we used to send it by bus, by Greyhound, you know, because they're, they're going to drive, they're going to drive straight from wherever you load it up to, uh, to the next uh, city that they get to, whether it's a uh, hundred miles away or 2000 miles away, they're going to be driving non-stairs. So you, you may want to check on some of the bus prices. They may have uh, it may be competitive, especially if somebody wants it in a hurry. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I might have to look into that. I appreciate it. Uh, well, I, I like to get, like I said, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us, and uh, and we'll have you back on. Uh, uh, you know, anytime that uh, you got a new uh, project that you're working on or something else, we'll have you uh, back on to talk to us. And uh, and I appreciate you taking the time to call and talk to us tonight, Jason. Oh, yes, sir. I appreciate the opportunity, and I will definitely give you all a call whenever i got something new and, and crazy going on. You never know what we'll be building the next week, so it's always <laughs> it's always something different and something crazy. So. All right. All right. Well, you take care, brother. God bless. Take care, and uh, and give us a call back anytime you got something new going on. Yes, sir. Will do. Y'all take care. All right. Bye-bye. <clears throat> All right, well, uh, if you need some targets, and uh, these these targets prices uh, that Jason has are, are really very competitive, the work is absolutely professional. You take a look at the targets uh, that he has there on his website, and, uh, and they are absolutely uh, professional quality targets, and you heard what he said. He's got a lifetime guarantee on them. And uh, and he's going to work with you on shipping, and uh, he's just a nice guy. <clears throat> so make sure that uh, when you're ready to grab some targets, and if you've looked around the uh, the Webernet and you can't find what you're looking for, uh, he's not just a, a salesperson. Uh, he doesn't just sell you the things that are in stock. If there's something that you want. He will make it for you, no matter no matter what your uh, your needs are. He will fabricate it for you, and he can do it very rapidly. He's got the uh, uh, the uh, computer driven uh, equipment there, so it can be drawn up. It can be cut out in just a matter of moments. Uh, as I said, we made he made a custom uh, AR five hundred target for us, which is uh, the uh, the upper torso from the waist up. Uh, you know, a person with their hands up. And we used it uh, on the zombie biathlon. 
and we've got uh, a couple of other uh, 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 circle plates of the AR-500 from him, and and they've taken a beating. They've taken numerous uh, rounds, including the uh, 338 Lapua uh, uh, strikes. Uh, with no appreciable da- appreciable damage whatsoever. So, whenever you have a uh, need for a target, you can go to Slayton Manufacturing. Uh, I mean, uh, Slayton Fabricating. Don't go to Slayton Manufacturing because I I tried that one time. It goes to a completely different company. It's Slayton Fabrication. All right, let's get back to uh, our discussion of uh, firearms for. Self-defense, home defense, and uh, end of the world as we know it needs. The first thing that you're going to need to consider is is what is your situation? Because everybody's situation is different. In the uh, show description and discussion, the, uh, the example that I put on there is that uh, a family living uh, 70, 80, 100 miles out in the middle of nowhere out in the wilds of Montana or North Dakota are going to have different situation and different uh, needs than the person who's living in an apartment in downtown Houston. For the person that's uh, considering their home defense, self-defense needs, in Houston, in their apartment, uh, you're not going to have to worry uh, about an eight, nine hundred pound grizzly uh, that you're going to have to defend yourself from. And that would take, uh, you know, a a really uh, high-powered, large-caliber round uh, with a lot of stopping power, and. <clears throat> Living in downtown Houston in an apartment situation, uh, you're probably not going to run into that eight or nine hundred pound grizzly uh, with uh, with a large caliber uh, rifle with a lot of stopping power. Uh, you're going to have different needs. One of the things that you'll have to consider uh, in a situation there is the the over travel of your bullet uh if you're in your home and you have uh, uh some type of a self defense situation which is going to require you to use your firearm uh you'll have to consider where the what's going to happen to the bullet uh even if it strikes your target and and goes through your target where is it going to end up because you're going to be surrounded by other uh, other apartments with more than likely will have people in them uh, who have no uh, they, have, they have no reason for you to be firing at them. So your bullet is going to need to stay uh, within your uh, within your apartment area if at all possible. And uh, and as I said earlier. Uh, what we're going to do, we're going to start talking about the most likely uh, situations for self-defense and home defense as opposed to uh, the least likely. 
and like I said, the least likely is going to be the the end of the world, the grid down situation. And we'll eventually work our way to it, but the most likely uh, is where we'll start out, and the most likely for uh, for people uh, in uh, in an urban area, you know, in an apartment uh, complex kind of thing. Uh, you need something uh, to defend yourself and defend your home uh, in an apartment situation. And there are several things you can use. Uh, one of the the things that you'll first need to consider is that is that the the whatever firearm uh, that you're going to end up deciding on getting uh, that almost more important than the firearm is your ability to use that firearm safely and competently. Uh, I don't care what you're going to use. Uh, it, it, it's more important for you to be able to, to use that firearm safely and correctly than it is uh, what, what type of firearm you're going to actually get. Uh, we certainly saw another example of this in the news now, making its rounds and everybody screaming about it, is the case of the uh, of the young nine-year-old girl uh, shooting a uh, an Uzi and ended up shooting in the head uh, because she had no previous experience with firearm. Uh, certainly, I don't think that she expected the. Uh, the continued recoil that you get from uh, from a fully automatic firearm, and apparently the instructor was not fully considering uh, what situations might arise out of that, uh, and he ended up catching a bullet in the head, and it and it killed him. Uh, God bless and keep him and his family, and and the little girl as well, because uh, she's going to have to live with this, because of somebody else's mistake, uh, is put this on her. Uh, because she didn't have the experience to handle the firearm correctly, and because the instructor was not giving her a chance to attain that experience safely, this is what ended up happening. And, and your ability to use uh, uh, any given firearm is going to be as important or more important than the firearm you choose, uh, because uh, even with a uh, even with a 338 uh, Lapua in an apartment, there you could there are ways that you could safely uh, discharge it. Uh, even in a crowded apartment, there's ways that you could uh, that you could discharge that firearm uh, in the defense of yourself and your family. Uh, in certain ways that would that would present the least possible chance of uh, injuring others. Okay, so what I'm trying to tell you is that once you've decided on a firearm, uh, the most important thing is going to be for you to get some instruction in a safe and competent use of that firearm. I try and tell people all the time that... Uh, that they'll get, they'll have uh, one or two firearms, and they'll be asking about uh, now what else should I get? And I'll ask them, well, how much uh, instruction have you had on the 
Well, I see on the pistol or the shotgun that you've gotten. Well, I had a basic pistol course and, uh, and a basic shotgun course. That's great. The basic course is great. Before you get another firearm, I would suggest that you take the next level of courses for each of those before you consider getting another firearm. Get more instruction and more experience in using what you have. The familiar you are with the firearm, the more experience you have in using that firearm, the better off you're going to be. <clears throat> All right. Uh, so if you are in uh, in a city-type situation and uh, you're living in an apartment, what should you get? Uh, there's a number of things you can get. Uh, first off, uh, the first thing I would advise someone to get would be to get a handgun, and here's why. Uh, a handgun is going to be easier to use with training inside of a house than a long gun is going to be. Uh, that's the first part of it. The second part of that is... <clears throat> If you get a handgun, then I would think I would my advice to you would be to immediately see about uh, getting your concealed carry permit because if you are if you have a handgun for self defense, then that handgun should be on you so that you are prepared to meet situations, not just in your home, and I'm going to talk about that in a second too, but outside the home. Uh, if you have to take the pistol off, uh, your handgun, and put it into your sock drawer before you leave the house, then you're exposing yourself to that other 50% of the times when people are assaulted, uh, robbed, raped, murdered, killed, because Half of it occurs in the home, and half of these situations occur outside the home. That's just the way that it kind of works out. Half of them occur in the day, half of them occur in the night. That's just the way that it works out. So if you've got a handgun for self-defense, then the logical follow-on move would be to get your concealed carry permit and carry that handgun on you when you leave the house. Uh, the other side of that is when you're in your home, once you're in your home, once you walk to the door and you shut the door and locked it, locking the deadbolt, not just that push-button lock, locking the deadbolt, as I've told you on the home uh, security uh, shows that we've done, then you still wear the pistol inside the home because if somebody comes up to your door and they kick it in, and you are uh, in the bathroom or you're sitting on the couch, are you going to have enough time uh, from the moment that they kick that door open, are you going to have enough time to race to your room or wherever you keep it and grab the firearm and uh, and load it, uh, get everything ready and meet that threat? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. And I don't know that you know either. Uh Unless it's happened and you've successfully done it or you've, or you've failed. Uh, I don't know if it will work. What I do know is that you have a much greater chance uh, 
of meeting the threat if you simply have to uncover and draw than if you have to get up off uh, wherever you are or if you have to race to wherever the handgun is stored and use it to meet the threat, okay? There's a much greater chance that you will be able to meet the threat in time, uh, and that's all I'm going to say about that part because the rest is going to depend upon your skill level. But there's a much greater chance that you'll be able to meet the threat in time if you have the handgun on you. There's no reason for you not to. Uh, whenever I uh, am out and about, I have my firearm on, and when I come to home, I still have it on until it's time for bed. Once it's time for bed, I'll I'll remove it. But until then, uh, I wear it. It's just a part of my clothing. Uh, and that's the way you should treat your use of your handgun is that it's a part of your clothing. When you're when you're up and you're dressed, it's on. And uh, and then you practice your uh, uh, your draws with it unloaded. You practice your draws with it, and you get used to wearing it, and and that allows you to to more rapidly meet the threat that you need. All right, what kind of pistol? <clears throat> Be up to you for several different reasons. Is what what is going to fit you. What, are, what is it that you're going to be the most comfortable working with? Because the, the thing that the, the, the handgun that you choose because you like to shoot it is going to be the one you're more likely to shoot than the one you really don't like to shoot for whatever reason. It doesn't fit your hand well. There's too much recoil, uh, whatever it is. Because I know people that have firearms. They say, well, this is the one that I carry, uh, you know, during the day and stuff. But I don't really like it that much. I, I like this other one, this little five-shot revolver that I have. I like it because it has less recoil, has a smaller handle, easier for me to grip it. I just like it a lot more. And, and that's the one that I see them always shooting because they like to shoot it. The big one, uh, the big semi-auto that they carry, they, they don't like it because it has a lot more recoil. Uh, has a larger handle, uh, you know, there's more, uh, takes more to put it on and take it off. So they don't, they don't carry it as much, they don't shoot it as much, which means they don't have as much experience as they have with it. So I would, I would suggest to you that you find the one that uh, you enjoy shooting, that you can handle, that you can fire, and make that your carry firearm. Uh, during our handgun courses, one of our the first things we start out with is a uh, is kind of a demo on the different types of firearms and the different calibers. And uh, and one of the things that Mark does is he'll uh, he'll shoot uh, a, a lot of the different uh, semi-autos uh, holding a thumb on a slide to show you that uh, uh, two things. One, that uh, that friction or pushing against the slide can cause a malfunction. Two, that uh, that the slide that you can stop the movement of that slide with your thumb. It's not going to be. Uh, it's not going to rip your hand off. And one of the things I like to ask people because you have you always have people talking about the caliber. It's got to be a stopping caliber. Got to be uh, 40 or more if you're going to carry it for self-defense. Got to start with a four, whatever number, whatever whatever it is. Got to start with a four. And 
I tell those people, well, I said, I'm going to look down at the assortment of, of firearms that are laying there on the, on the counter, and you pick out the one that you would feel comfortable with me shooting you in the forehead with. All right, so we got a little uh, a little 380 down here, a little uh, 22, a little 25. You pick out the one that you'd be okay with me shooting you in the forehead with. And there is uh, a certain amount of uh, uh, of scientific fact to go along with that, along with the stopping power. Of certain calibers, certainly if you use a a, a 40 or a 45 uh, or certainly any of the larger ones, which I wouldn't recommend, but uh, they're certainly going to have uh, uh, like a greater degree of stopping power. But more important, uh, especially in, in in what we teach, is shot placement and the number of rounds that you put in a person. Uh, if you if you're using a nine millimeter which is uh, supposed to be, you know, have less stopping power, and uh, you three to four rounds per a second into your target, and you fire for two seconds, that means you'll, you'll put eight to nine rounds, maybe even ten rounds, uh, center of mass in your target. There just, there just are not a lot of bad guys that are going to be able to accept that. That's the weight of all that lead and still move around, Okay your skill level, your experience is going to have a lot more to do with stopping power uh, than the caliber is going to have, all right? So you need to first decide on, and when we're still talking about uh, folks living uh, in the city, living in apartments, you will need to, to figure out the firearm that best fits you, that best suits you, and then you're going to get that one, and then you're going to get instruction in its use. Now, Certainly, if you have something like a nine millimeter, you can, and you're living inside, a, living in an apartment, you can buy certain types of ammunition that will have uh, uh, less chance of uh, making it through and through uh, on a bad guy. There are plenty of self-defense rounds, uh, different types of self-defense rounds that have uh, like hollow points and expanding rounds that have less chance of uh, going through your target, and even if they miss, uh, they have more of a chance of uh, either expanding or fragmenting uh, than some of the uh, full metal jacket rounds. As I said, you're going to want to, to try and limit the bullets travel through walls and stuff like that. Now, uh, they also make a frangible round, and that is uh, that's where they've taken... Uh, like a uh, a ground up uh, material, uh, a, a loose amount of material, and uh, under speed and pressure, they have uh, caused it to form a solid. But it too, uh, when it hits something solid, will uh, immediately start to fragment. And that will, the, the more that a bullet fragments, the less uh, the less uh, ability it has to continue on through barriers like uh, walls and stuff like that. Uh, the the more that a bullet stays together, the farther it's going to travel because it has more mass uh, that will give it the ability to travel through uh, 
materials. All right. So you may want to consider using uh, frangible bullets uh, inside your home. Uh, you may want to consider using uh, the uh, the for your self-defense rounds. Uh, you can use. Uh, uh, I personally like uh, handguns like the Glock 17. And the reason I do is because they uh, they they don't have a bunch of uh, bells and whistles on them. There are not a lot of manual safeties. And as far as self-defense uh, handguns, I'm I'm really not a big fan of a lot of safeties. Uh, I don't want to put a bunch of uh, a bunch of things that I'll have to do that I'll have to manipulate uh, with my hands and fingers and stuff with when I'm in a high stress situation before I can fire the the handgun. Uh, I want it to be a relatively simple process of drawing and firing. And the Glock 17 tab that they've got a grip safe, I mean a not a grip safety, a, a trigger safety that uh, that will keep the trigger from firing if, like if it gets snagged on something or if your finger is halfway on it uh, it will hopefully keep it from firing in those situations but uh, if you've got a good full or firm pull on the trigger it's going to fire I've also found that the that my Glock 17 fires uh, a lot of different ammunition without much fuss uh, I've, I've got several XD uh, first generation XDs that uh, that were a little bit finicky about uh, certain types of ammunition, and uh, I wanted a handgun that was going to go bang every time I pulled the trigger. And so far, the the best one that I found that without a lot of uh, bells and whistles is a the Glock 17. On top of that, there's going to be magazine capacity, <clears throat> and uh, there's certainly a lot of discussion about this. The same as with the uh, the handgun calibers, <laughs> if you get something like a, uh, a Colt government model and you've got a, a seven-round magazine, but it's in 45 caliber, and then uh, the people always tell me, yeah, I don't need as many rounds because of the, you know, the stopping power on it. Uh, that's great. That's great for you. If, you're, if you are going to hit whatever you're shooting at every time and you're using the 45, then maybe that's true. Uh, I'm more of the... Uh, of the philosophy that uh, I want as many rounds available to me in that magazine as I can possibly get. And with the Glock 17, uh, I can get uh, 17 rounds. And uh, and I like the fact that I can uh, have 17 rounds available to me if I need it, 17 rounds in 9mm. Uh, that is, that's my personal uh my personal idea of what uh, a good home defense handgun would be. Your situation may vary. You may have, uh, you may decide you want uh, a uh, a firearm that has more safeties on it. Uh, if you have uh, uh, children in the home, uh, you may want to go for a revolver. Uh, because of the simplicity of it and the fact that uh, there's, the revolvers have less chance of malfunctioning uh, as far as a jam than the semi-autos do. 
uh, and certainly that is a, that is a good idea. People, uh, I have a a very nice uh, thirty-eight caliber uh, six-shot revolver that uh, that I carry a lot of times for that exact reason. One, it's a lot smaller than most of the others. It's uh, a thirty-eight caliber. It's a nice proven caliber, and uh, there's never going to be a jam. It's going to uh, cycle. Uh, going to fire uh, every time I squeeze the trigger. Uh, it's going to take you figuring out what your situation is and what is going to work best for you uh, for you to decide on what type of a handgun you're going to need for your situation and your level of experience. Certainly, uh, if you have less experience, and uh, and you are not planning on getting uh, a lot of experience, something like a revolver might be a better uh, choice uh, for some of you. Some, uh, if, uh, uh, if you want something like for your mother to use or something like that, or, or if your father's older and, and uh and you think that a revolver would work better for him, then by all means, that's what you're going to get. That's what you're going to use. Uh, if you're in a an urban situation and you either have a handgun already uh, or maybe you think that uh, that some type of long gun might be better for you, then you may want to consider getting a shotgun. A good pump shotgun uh, is always a good choice uh, for home defense. Once again, uh, I would I would advise you to make sure that you are getting instruction uh, in the use of uh, any handgun or long gun uh, that's going to be just as important as it is acquiring the firearm. Uh, and that's one of the things that I tell uh, folks when, uh, when we're getting ready uh, to run a shotgun course. Is it, uh, almost most of the folks that I know uh, have a, some type of shotgun that they are using uh, as a home defense uh, firearm, which is great. And the uh, the shotgun is great for it. But at the same time, uh, you need to know how to actually use that firearm. Uh, I get people all the time telling me that, uh, yeah, if you don't, uh, if you don't have a lot of training, then a shotgun's good because, uh, man, you can hit just about anything with that. Even if you've never uh, shot with it, man, you can hit just, people can hit just about anything with that shotgun because that shot will scatter out and, and man, you know, you got to, it'll knock them down. Well, that, that is right and wrong. It's almost exactly oppositely wrong. Uh, just because you have a shotgun doesn't mean that you're going to be able to hit anything. And it certainly doesn't mean that you can do, as our 
as our vice president has said, which is get a shotgun, go outside and shoot it in the air to deter people from uh, trying to, uh, to, I guess, uh, attack your home or whatever. Uh, matter of fact, I believe that there's been a couple of people all arrested already because they did exactly what the president said. And, uh, and it's not going to, uh, at the distances you're going to be using it, it's not going to spread out in much as, uh, enough that you're going to, uh, that you're going to hit whatever you're shooting at without aiming. You still have to know how to use the shotgun. Now, one of the things that, uh, that is good uh, about using a shotgun, like inside uh, uh, a home for self-defense, is that uh, you can use some rounds that have a uh, that were actually designed for for hunting for field use, and uh, and will have less uh, will be less likely to over penetrate inside, and yet are still able. Uh, to be used for self-defense rounds inside a home. You can use, uh, heck, for in most cases, uh, you can use uh, uh, like six and four shot inside a home, and they'll do just about as much damage as buckshot will do uh, at those distances. Uh, however, they're much less likely to over-penetrate and go into the, into the next uh, apartment. <clears throat> You're still going to need to be able to uh, to understand how to aim uh, the shotgun to hit what you're what you're shooting. You're going to need to know how to uh, work the slide and get the next round in. You're going to need to know how to load and unload it. Uh, you really should be able to uh, you should be able to know how to change out a load that's in the magazine of a pump shotgun. Uh, you know, without cycling through it. You should be able to uh, uh, to put a round that you want to use into the to the shotgun immediately or clear a round out. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that you really should know about your shotgun uh, in order to use it the most uh, effective way for self and home defense. And once again, I'm gonna I'll tell you that you should probably get a uh, to go along with whatever firearm you're using. But you can get a shotgun like uh, um, like a good uh, uh, pump shot, uh, shotgun, like a Remington 870, uh, uh, Mossberg 500, something like that. And uh, these are nice, inexpensive uh, pump shotguns. And then you can get a uh, uh, a round carrier that uh, goes onto the stock. I would I, I would suggest that you get one of the hard plastic ones, not one of the uh, stretchy fabric ones because inevitably those will they'll become loose and of no use to you whatsoever. All right, so go ahead and get you a, a good decent uh, saddle extra round carrier for your for the stock. The other thing is, <clears throat> if it's going to be for home use for self defense and not for hunting, then you should consider getting uh, one of the self-defense or home defense barrels for it. These are the ones that uh, uh, are really not much more than 18 and a half or 18 and a quarter inches. You want to need a shorter barrel for being able to move through your house with it. 
Uh, and you can buy these. I, I don't recommend cutting the barrel off. You can buy the uh, the shortened, the legal shortened barrels. You can buy them from uh, the factory. <laughs> uh, and you can certainly even get, be, get a less expensive uh, model by buying one of the uh, the inexpensive single shots. Uh, Mark and I have worked with the like the 12 gauge uh, single shots with the uh, the extra round carrier, you know, the plastic saddle carrier that uh, you can bolt onto the stock. We work with those, and uh, after you work with them for a little while, they're they're not that much slower. Than, uh, than a pump gun, uh, they're a lot less expensive. You can pick one up for 60, 70, 80 bucks, uh, and then you can have a gunsmith uh, who can alter the barrel for you and reattach the uh, the aiming bead on it, make sure that it's that it's done in a legal fashion and recorded and stuff. Uh, and you can use that. That's another inexpensive way. Uh, and then you'll You'll keep that shotgun, uh, and you'll keep it stationed in your home in a way that's safe according to your situation, and you'll have to take into consideration whether you have children or not, whether you have guests, or all of that, and you'll have to figure out a safe way to keep to keep it. Now, we've discussed this uh, several times. I'm not going to go back over it again right now, but we've discussed this several times on other programs on the things that you can do. Uh, to keep your shotgun handy and yet uh, safely uh, available to you. Uh, And then make sure that you're using the correct load for it. Uh, One of the things that I do is I make sure that whenever I'm buying shells, I make sure that I'm I'm buying the shells uh, that are of different colors uh, so I don't get them mixed up. I make sure that uh, that the birdshot shells I use uh, are of a different color than the slug or buckshot shells I use, so I don't mix them up. I can very rapidly tell by looking at them which ones they are. Uh, if you uh, if they are the same color, uh, you can take a sharpie and put an X uh, uh, across the bottom of it or an S across the bottom of it, so that you can very quickly look at the uh, at the brass part where the uh, where the primer is, and you you can see whether it's a buckshot, a birdshot, or a slug. Uh, so you'll know what you're putting in to your load. Uh, the shotguns. Uh, let's uh, let's say if you have to leave the home with a shotgun for whatever reason. Uh, most of the time, these are going to be just as effective uh, in a in an urban situation uh, as a rifle is many times because the uh, the shotgun. Uh, once you've got some experience with it and you have you've sighted in your slug loads, you should really have no problem hitting a man-sized target at 100 yards with that shotgun and a slug. All right. Uh, we have shotgun classes all the time, and we've proved that over and over again. Uh, and uh, really, with a little bit of training, it should not be hard for you to make uh, a headshot at 100 yards with a little bit of training with your shotgun. 
all right, with a slug. <clears throat> so you can uh, leave your uh, you can leave your home with the shotgun and uh, and use it almost like a rifle if you need to. Uh, that's one of the things that I do like about the shotgun. Now you can use a rifle uh, as a home defense firearm, uh, and a lot of people do now. A lot of people are using things like uh, the ARs, uh, and people have used rifles uh, since uh, rifles were manufactured for home defense. Uh, the most common one, uh, probably the the rifle that has uh, that is uh, killed the most bad guys and good guys, um, way way more than any. Uh, evil black rifle ever thought about has been the 30-30 lever action rifle. That is uh, probably the record holder for, uh, other than a shotgun, probably the record holder for, uh, for, for causing the deaths of both good guys and bad guys, right? Because uh, the 30-30 is a rifle cartridge, and it will certainly defeat uh, common uh, the common vest that most law enforcement uses uh, and it's the one that most people own I mean there's there are millions and millions of lever action rifles out there in uh, you know in a high velocity 30 caliber uh, and people have been using it forever and it's actually one of the rifles that that I would certainly recommend, you know, for several reasons. One, it's got a lot of stopping power. It's easy to use. Most people can use it. They can manipulate that uh, lever action, uh, probably a lot of folks, better than they can the bolt action. Uh, it's got a hammer on it that uh, you can uh, you can pull to the rear and fire or that you can drop down safely. Uh, it uh, is a caliber. A 3030 caliber is, is is really such a common caliber uh, that you have a good chance of finding ammunition for it. Uh, you know, in the glove box of a pickup truck, or you know, in uh, uh, you know, in the uh, in the in the world situation, and uh, you know, in somebody's uh, uh, ammo drawer at their house, it's very likely to find uh, you know a dozen 3030 shells. All right, so it's one of the firearms that I've that I've always recommended, and uh, and you can also read a lot of good information, chess with it, everything else, as far as using it, using it for a self self defense, home defense, or uh, you know it's for the possible end of the world use, and that's the thirty thirty lever action rifle. Uh, a great deal of folks now use ARs. They'll use the AR fifteen and five five six. Uh, as their home defense weapon, and you know, there's there's certainly nothing wrong with that. Uh, the the only caveat uh, that I add to that is that is that almost all of the rifle calibers are much more likely to pass through barriers like walls uh, than most of the or the shotgun cartridges. Now, certainly a shotgun with a slug is going to travel through, uh, well, travel through a couple of walls. 
most of the pistols can travel through just plain uh, sheetrock without a whole lot of trouble. And you know, a lot of times that's all that's separating uh, two apartments is a common wall that has uh, some two-by-fours in it and then two layers of sheetrock and some insulation in between it. And that's all that has to be passed through. Uh, most of your pistols are going to be able to pass through that. Uh, almost all of your rifles and certainly uh, shotguns with uh, with slugs. So uh, having an AR with a 30-round magazine is certainly something uh, that you could use for home defense. Uh, sure that you understood, uh, and this is where training comes in, you'd, you'd need to understood, understand your fighting lines and angles, uh, things like that, so that you have the ability to make shots within your home with with the least chance of firing into an occupied apartment. That means you'd need to think about uh, things like, uh, like well, when I say angles, what I'm talking about is making sure that you're trying to develop uh, a way that the bullet, when you fire that bullet, that once it starts to leave your apartment, that it's leaving at an angle that will cause it to pass from your apartment and out uh, at an angle that would that would be the most likely uh, not to strike a person next to you. That might mean that you need to drop down on one knee uh, uh, when you're firing or something like that to, to increase the angle so that you're shooting up so that your bullet is going to, if it goes into the next uh, building, that's going up above their heads. Now, you may need to think about the, you know, if you're in a three-story apartment and you're on the first floor, you want to be careful about doing that, too, so that you're not shooting straight up into the apartment above you. These are all things that you're going to have to think about because even, even when you are trying to save your life or the life of a loved one, it is not allowed for you to cause the death of another innocent. All right? Do you understand what I'm saying? That just because you are saving your life or a loved one's life, it's not okay for that round to pass, uh, pass and leave wherever you're shooting and injure somebody else any more than it would be okay uh, for somebody else to be trying to save their life, and in the course of them saving their life, they shot uh, one of your kids and killed them, all right? Certainly you wouldn't think that that was okay, and it's not. That's not going to be okay for you to do it. So, as I said, you're going to need to seek training uh, for any firearm that you get so you'll know how to use it and then understand things like angles, uh, using angles and stuff like that uh, when you are in a situation uh, where where you're going to have to worry about uh, uh, overpenetration, all right? <clears throat> now, the persons who are living out in Montana, uh, far away from anyone else, uh, may have a little bit of a different uh, situation. And... Uh, they may have different needs. As a matter of fact, that's not there. They may well have different needs. They're going to have different needs. Now, as far as shooting inside a house, you still need to you still need to understand what is beyond your target. 
you know, even inside my home uh, and just using a pistol or shotgun, uh, I've had to uh, to work at it quite a bit to make sure because there's a you know there's uh, there's a lot of other people living in the house with me, my kids. Like you can't just start shooting wildly uh, to save your own life or somebody else's because uh, unless I understand where my bullet's going to go, uh, I could be putting a bullet right into their room where they're laying in bed. So you have to make sure that you're that you're looking inside your house. How how am I going to be able to fire inside the house without? causing danger to somebody else or causing the least possible chance of causing danger. So you need to figure this out beforehand, before you're uh, in a high-stress situation. You need to figure out, like, where no-fire areas are, uh, where areas are that you can take cover in your house, understanding that cover is different from concealment, where you can return fire at, how you need to be uh, if you have to shoot in a certain direction, what your angle needs to be. Do I need to be down on one knee? Do I need to be laying flat on the ground? So you may, in order to make a shot, you may have to throw yourself on the ground so that you can take the shot with the least possible chance of injuring someone else in your home. And you may need to do that. You may need to, uh, there are certain areas in the house I know that if I if I'm, have to take a shot, I'm going to have to get on the ground to take it to make sure that the bullet is traveling at an angle It'll allow it to to leave the house uh, and not go through uh, another room. All right, let's get back to Montana. Now, these people, uh, they may not have, uh, if you're in Houston and the looters and uh, rioters come, uh, it's certainly going to be a different situation than if you're in Montana. Uh, If you're in Montana, uh, you may have other things to think about. Uh, In Houston, you're probably not going to be trying to supplement your your food stock by taking wild game. Whereas in Montana, that's probably going to be a, a, a really viable alternative for you. So, uh, and you're probably not going to have uh, hordes of looters uh, who are out. Uh, uh, dashing through the plains and the woods, looking for your home uh, there in Montana, uh, it's more likely that you would have uh, uh, maybe wild animals like bears, uh, you would have uh, deer, uh, you know, and uh, elk and, uh, uh, you know, large game that, uh, that you'd want to take, uh, and that would be uh, using uh, like a, a high-powered rifle with good optics. <clears throat> uh, certainly, if uh, if you were trying to defend your home in in, in most of the areas like that, uh, that would also work because you're probably going to have a a good distance between you and and somebody that's coming up. Uh, uh, most of the firearms you could use that, that I discussed earlier, you could still use, you know, inside your home in Montana, no different than than Houston, you know, a shotgun inside the home or a pistol inside the home. Uh, but uh, like I said, you're probably not going to need uh, something that can, uh, that can subdue uh, a grizzly bear in uh, downtown Houston, where uh, in... 
some of uh, the other states and rural areas, you may need that. You may need to to have something uh, that you can use for your defense, and that can either be a uh, a large caliber pistol like uh, the 357 Magnum or 44 Magnum, or or, or one of the larger uh, caliber pistols, one of the larger caliber revolvers, uh, and a uh, a rifle that uh, that is of a uh, a high enough caliber. Uh, to take large game or to defend yourself uh, from some type of uh, a wild animal. <clears throat> uh, something that you can use uh, to defend yourself at, uh, at the greater distances there's, that there's going to be. Uh, but guess what? There's even cities in Montana and North Dakota. Uh, you could be living in one of those cities there. So as I said, the, the, your, your individual situation is going to determine what type of a firearm you need as well as your uh, as how much money you have to spend on the firearms, how much money you have to spend on training. Uh, I, I, my personal, one of my personal shotguns that I use is a Mossberg 835, the 835 Ultimag. And the reason I use it is because... Uh, it will fire uh, all the shotgun rounds that are made. No matter what shotgun uh, cartridge uh, I come across, the the A35 is a 12 gauge. Uh, mine is a 12 gauge uh, pump gun. Uh, it'll fire uh, everything from the uh, the little inch and a half of gilas, uh which would have to be hand, uh, you know, fed because it's not going to want to pump them. Uh, real well, all the way to the three and a half inch magnum cartridges, uh, and I like those, uh, especially for stuff like home defense, because the uh, the normal 12 gauge shotgun, uh, the two and three quarter inch shell, will hold uh, uh, nine 30 caliber pellets. And you know, 30 caliber is a, is a pretty decent size. It's going to be the same size as your uh, uh, as your 30 out six. That's the diameter of it, and it'll hold nine of those. And they'll be coming out at a good velocity. And uh, and and one of the things about shotguns is, uh, of all the different firearms, and I'm talking even about 44 magnums. Uh, I was reading a uh, uh, a paper the other day that was showing the statistics. Uh, of all the firearms you can use, I don't care what it is, what rifle, what handgun it is, uh, the the ability or the or the chances of you shooting with somebody, shooting somebody and not killing them or incapacitating incapacitating them with the with the handgun or rifle cartridges are actually uh, you know pretty good. Uh, and that's for every cartridge. That's for every. That's for 30 out six uh, and uh, 44 Magnum. All those. With the shotgun, the uh, the number of folks that uh, were incapacitated by one shot from the shotgun uh, far outstrips anything, uh, any other cartridge. Showing the uh, the odds that one round of buckshot or one round of slug 
is going to kill uh, or permanently incapacitate a person hit with it far outweigh any other cartridge. So that's another thing to consider whenever you're thinking about a uh, self-defense or home defense firearm is the fact that uh, that very few people are able to uh, uh, to take uh, a 12-gauge uh, buckshot or slug round and survive it. All right? Now, the the quarter-inch has a 9.30 caliber pellet. The 3.5-inch Magnum buckshot has 18 40 caliber pellets uh, traveling at much higher velocity. 18 40 caliber pellets. And, uh, man, it makes it makes a very savage uh, coverage pattern, you know, at uh, at normal self-defense distances, you know, up to uh, 25 meters. The uh, the three and a half inch uh, uh, buckshot round uh, is a pretty savage uh, uh, self-defense on home defense round. And like I said, one of the reasons that I chose those is because I can use any round in it. If I pick up a three-inch round or a three-and-a-half-inch round, it's going to fire in the shotgun. At the same time, uh, I have the 18-inch barrel, the 18-inch factory barrel. I bought uh, bought several of the 18-inch barrels uh, off eBay. Uh, when they were selling them. I believe that they still are. Uh, and I bought several of the 18-inch barrels for the shotguns. But uh, I still have uh, all the other different barrels, which I have uh, several barrels for each shotgun. I have all the the other different barrels that I've kept uh, because I can still use those. I can just switch the barrels out uh, very easily, uh, just taking the, uh, the magazine cap off and screwing it, popping the barrel out, and popping a uh, you know a 28 inch bird gun barrel on, and uh, I can use that now to go and take uh, uh, doves, pigeons, ducks, you know geese uh, to supplement uh, my food. <coughs> uh, that's one of the considerations that you that you might want to make when. Uh, you know, when deciding on a firearm is, is what other uses can, what other things can you use it for? And that's if you're limited to, you know, to getting one firearm. What other things can you use it for? Because uh, uh, the, uh, the the pistols are great for self-defense, and you can certainly use them, and you can conceal them on your person. You can move with them and stuff like that. But they're not going to be as good uh, if you... Uh, need to to try and take some small game with it. So uh, so uh, I'm just reading some of the uh, uh, some of the stuff in the chat. Uh, I, I'm not. I wasn't keeping up with it, but I see somebody mentioning uh, 20 millimeter. Uh, you're probably not going to need a uh, 20 millimeter. Uh, for home and self-defense, but uh, hey, you know, if you've got one, perfect. Uh, you're probably not going to be able to uh, to do a great job on taking uh, 
a small game with your pistol, but you can with a shotgun. Uh, that's one of the things that uh, that certainly that you can that you can do with it. Uh, although uh, although I was uh, uh, two weeks ago, I was working with uh, with John uh, while he was teaching the precision rifle course, and uh, and he has a 45 ACP revolver, and uh, they make a uh, a shot round. Well, the 45 ACP, they'll actually function in the uh, in the automatic pistol, and uh, it had a pretty savage uh, uh, little shot round that I, I believe that you could probably, if you were close enough, you could probably take some small game like squirrel or birds with. Uh, I believe it uh, it had something like uh, I don't know three or four hundred. Uh, I believe it was uh, number 12 pellets, something like that. And uh, uh, I guess there could be some use for that. And we also considered how well it might work for a uh, for a self-defense uh, inside the home round. And uh, and believe me, it would be very devastating to uh, to take a a round of that in the face. Uh, there'd be no way you could take a round in the face. Uh, without, I think, becoming blinded because uh, we fired it several times and every single time uh, that the uh, round was fired at the head, uh, you would get uh, a dozen or more pellets. Uh, would There'd be no way of them not hitting the eyes. So that's certainly something that you can consider. Uh, the... Uh, uh, the... The rifle cartridges uh, in a uh, in a more rural area like uh, uh, Montana, North Dakota, something like that, uh, would certainly be uh, a better idea uh, because you could you could certainly take game with those, use them for self-defense. You won't have to worry quite as much about concealing uh, your firearm uh, in in a lot of situations like that. Now, uh, that leads me to, to, I want to mention something real quick before we go about, uh, about gear as well. Uh, and this is for, for more of a uh, man-made natural disaster grid-down situation. Now, I see a lot of folks, uh, you know, they're buying a lot of the military stuff, so the, the, uh, what we call the LBE, the load-bearing equipment, stuff like that. Uh, and that's great. But uh, it's my opinion that uh, that if you are walking around with a flashy rifle and a lot of uh, fancy web gear and stuff like that, that you also draw a lot of attention to yourself. Uh, I try and make sure that all of my uh, like my grid down, my end of the world type gear is stuff that that does not draw attention to me. I, uh, I've purchased the Olongapo Outfitters grab-and-go bags. These are uh, like over-the-shoulder, kind of uh, uh, almost like satchel or purse-type carriers, uh, and you can get them in uh, either in magazine carriers for your ARs or you can get them in in-block carriers for your M1 Grand. 
I bought those because, uh, yeah, you can throw it on. You can just grab the rifle and that, uh, and the uh, magazine or in-block carriers, throw it over your shoulder and take off. Uh, you can also put the the magazine or in-block carrier over your shoulder and wear another shirt or jacket over on top of that. You can slide it behind your back, and nobody's going to see it. Uh, my One of the things I've set up for my... Uh, like the uh, end of the world uh, in a urban situation or something where I've got to I've got to travel without drawing a lot of attention is I've got my M1 Garand uh, and I've, all I've done is popped out the trigger group and then I've closed it in half and it goes into a uh, a little gray uh, folding chair bag, nylon bag, it's a folding chair bag uh, the Olangapo uh, in-block carrier, uh, which is going to hold uh, uh, 12 of the in-blocks. Uh, it goes over my shoulder, under my shirt or jacket, and it just swings around behind me. And then I've also got uh, a handgun that's concealed uh, for immediate use. As need be, I can very quickly pop the rifle together, put the, uh, the trooper group in, probably in a lot less than... Uh, then uh, seven or eight seconds and have it ready to go. But it's not going to draw attention to me either. Neither the, uh, the over-the-shoulder bag or the rifle in the bag is not going to be drawing attention to me because I'm telling you, I don't care what kind of equipment or rifle you have, whatever. If somebody sees you with it and it's something that they want, which they may very well want your nice, fancy AR and your web gear, if somebody wants it, they're going to be able to to put around in you and get it from you. If you make yourself an enviable target and and make your gear something that somebody else is going to want, there's a good chance that they're going to it's going to make them decide to try and take it from you. So you want to look uh, you, you don't want to look like something that somebody wants, right? That's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, all right, we could go on and on uh, about this, uh, about the subject tonight. I hope I have uh, I've answered some of the questions uh, that that folks have asked me uh, over the last uh, few months and stuff. Certainly, uh, if you had other questions that you wanted to ask, you know, we've got the call-in number uh, 347-308-8790 that you can always call in. And uh, you can always ask a question. We'll do our best to answer it. You can always make suggestions on uh, what shows or you'd like to hear or what information you would like to hear. Uh, so be sure if you have any questions to call in. Uh, if you have any further questions about this, you're always welcome to send them to me. Or you can go to the website, uh, www.battleroadusa.com, and go to the contact page. And, uh, and send me your question or comment. I'll be I'll be glad to answer it. <laughs> and uh, uh, we're going to have a, an author on uh, in a couple of weeks. It has written a, a number of great books uh, about the American Revolutionary War period. And uh, her name is Becky Akers. And uh, <clears throat> she's a really great... Uh, uh, a really great patriot and a really great author. Now, our, our books are uh, historical fiction. So they're really well-thought-out books. And 
<clears throat> I think that you'll like it. I think you'll enjoy uh, the uh, our conversation with her. Uh, and I'll try and give everybody a, a good heads up on that so that you can uh, make sure that you make the program. All right, I want to uh, I want to uh, thank everybody who's listening tonight. Everybody's going to listen in the uh, in the archives and the downloads. I want to thank Sam D, uh, who is here with me uh, every time uh, we open the uh, call lines, and uh, I will see the rest of you guys uh, this next Thursday. Until then, uh, think about what I said. Think about making sure that uh, that you are thinking about what your needs are and that you're understanding that becoming familiar and getting instruction uh, in whatever firearm that you're going to use is just as important, if not more, in firearm selection. All right? All right. Until then, make sure that uh, you're working on your prep every day and uh, you're working on your drive fire. All right? Thank you. God bless everybody. We'll see you next Thursday, 7 p.m.